Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. I'm so glad you guys decided to come here today, Christmas Eve. Um, you guys all look very nice in your Christmas best. Um, I actually bought a Christmas shirt to wear today, and I went to put it on today, and the buttons were on the wrong side. This is weird. And then when they put it on, I realized it was a girl shirt. So um, my wife's getting another gift she doesn't know about yet. Anyways, um, welcome everyone to the Christmas Eve service. Um, I love Christmas. My kids love Christmas. My family loves Christmas. We are Christmas people. We just we love listening to Christmas music. We love watching Christmas movies. I think my kids watch two different movies today, Christmas movies today. Um, I love, I actually kind of enjoy, maybe love, I don't know if I'll go so far to say love, but I really enjoy wrapping presents. My wife really enjoys going to Target to buy the presents for me to wrap. She doesn't like wrapping them. Uh, but we just love Christmas time. Our whole family loves it. My kids are getting older now. My oldest, Brooklyn, is seven. And she's really into Christmas as well, every aspect of it. But one thing I started to notice this year, and you parents in the room that have older kids, you probably could have taught me this, but one thing I'm starting to notice is that um, my oldest daughter specifically, um, if she doesn't do whatever she thinks we're supposed to do that Christmas day, or if she doesn't get what she thinks she's supposed to get that Christmas day, she gets a little upset with us at this point. And here's what's happened um, a lot of times in our house. Um, We have this advent calendar that's a great idea, that is annoying at times. So the advent calendar, every day you pull out a little piece of paper and it says some kind of Christmas activity to do. It's a great idea that my wife had. So we'll pull one out and say, all right, sing a Christmas song today. So we'll sing a Christmas song that day. But the problem is sometimes the activity is just not possible that day. Like, all right, go look at lights and get hot chocolate and go buy presents. Like, I can't do that today. But when my daughter pulls it out, she says, hey, we got to go look at lights today. And at times I'm like, we can't do that today. I, there's a Ravens game on today, so I'm not going, or something like that. That's not why. Um, but uh, we can't do that today. And she gets upset if we do not do what she expects us to do. Um, we also have Christmas cookies. Like, a lot of you have given us Christmas cookies, which we love. Um, our neighbors give us Christmas cookies. And my wife and I were looking at it today because we had so many Christmas, co- Christmas cookies at one point. They were like, there's no way we're possibly going to eat all these cookies. And then I looked at it today, and we almost did. So for sure, I got to going to diet starting January. We, but my, my kids, they assume once they eat their dinner, they can have a Christmas cookie. So if we say for some reason, no, you can't, they get upset. My daughter gets upset. And then my daughter, uh, Brooklyn, sh- when it comes to presents, she stopped asking for presents and just started expecting the presents. So this year I said, hey, what do you want for Christmas? What's like the big thing you want? And she said, I want the game Twister. That was the big thing she wanted. And I was like, first off, that's a dumb thing to be your big thing because that's so cheap. It's $20. Like, you could have asked for a bigger thing, but you already asked for it. So she asked for Twister. I was like, okay. The other day I asked her, hey, do you think Santa's going to get you Twister for Christmas? And she said, um, yeah, I know he's going to get me Twister for Christmas. It's like, no, how do you know she's going to do it? I said, well, I've been good all year, so I deserve it. So then when she said that, in my head, I thought two things. One, were you good all year? Because I was here the whole year. There's plenty of times you weren't that great, number one. And number two, how do you deserve it? Like, how does that mindset, that concept of, no, I deserve it, that mindset has been through all throughout our Christmas season. When it came to Advent, Advent activities, it wasn't like, I hope we can do this. No, this is what it says. We're doing this because I deserve to do this. It said we're going to do it. We are going to do it. And, and if we don't, you're going to get upset. It comes to Christmas cookies, it's not, hey, could I have a cookie, mom and dad, after dinner? It's like, no. I ate my dinner. It's time for my cookie now. And if you don't give it to me, I'm going to be upset. And when it comes to the presents, it's not, hey, I hope I get Twister one today, this Christmas season. It was, no, I deserve Twister because I was so good all year. 
after a while, this sense of entitlement, which is what it is, started to kind of get to me. And when it comes to our kids and their presence, what do they really do to deserve the presence? Like, do they really deserve it? Like, is that why they get it? Because they worked really hard for it all year? Is that why they really get their presence? The more she told me that she deserved Twister, the more I wanted to teach her a lesson, a hard lesson on entitlement of just because you want it and think you deserve it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get it. And anyways, how can she even be grateful for Twister at this point if she even gets it? Of course she's going to get it. She expects it is what she thinks. How is she going to even be grateful for it at this point? See, what happens a lot of times is our expectations can become entitlement. That's what can happen for a lot of us. And you know what entitlement is, right? It's when your privileges become your rights. This is a privilege, and now you're like, no, this is what I demand. And before we think about our kids or millennials or whatever you want to say for entitlement, we all do this. We all at times act entitled. I'll give you some examples. Tomorrow, if your significant other gives you a gift that you need but you don't want, you're not going to like it. What if your significant other said, hey, um, I got you toilet paper for Christmas? It's like, why? Because you're going to need this. We need toilet paper. It's like, yeah, but I wanted this. No, but this way you're going to get upset. Why? Because it's a little bit of entitlement. No, I, I, didn't need, I didn't want this. I know I need it. I didn't want this. What about if you go to the mall and go to find a parking spot and there's no parking and a car's pulling out? He's like, oh, there it is. There's a good spot. And there's another car coming the opposite direction that's around the same time as you and they pull in that spot before you. Do you go, you know what? It's okay. It's not, it wasn't my parking spot. No. You say, that was my spot. How did they not see me coming? Why? You're entitled to that spot. You all send it, you think it's yours. Maybe at work, you, there's, a, there's a promotion coming. You think you should get that promotion. You deserve that promotion, but somebody else gets it. A lot of times we're not like, ah, eh, it's fine. No, it's like, no, something's going wrong here because I was, this, I was my promotion. Like, I was entitled to that. We all do this. If you receive what you feel entitled to receive, then you can only achieve base satisfaction. That's all we can do. But what happens when you don't get what you expect to get? What happens when the things that you felt entitled to receive, that you don't actually, actually receive those things? What happens then? In the first century, the, the Jews expected a Messiah. They fully expected that a Messiah was going to be coming at some point, that God was going to send the anointed one. And their, their history told them that this Messiah was coming one day, they were going to get this Messiah. And they couldn't wait for that day. They couldn't wait to get back to the days of King David. Uh, if you, you might know David, David, story of David and Goliath, David was considered the best king of Israel. They couldn't wait for that Messiah to come to be in the line of King David and to rule the way King David did because that's how he was going to rule. If you don't know King David, he would conquer other nations. So the Messiah was going to come and start conquering nations. And all of a sudden, the Messiah was going to come and make the Jews, the, the God's holy people, be the most precious people, be the number one nation that the empire of Rome was going to fall because the Messiah was going to come and conquer the empire of Rome. That's what they fully expected the Messiah to look like. And why wouldn't they? In the Old Testament, if you read the Old Testament, they, they were God's chosen people. God led them to defeat other nations to show that he was the king of kings. They were shown by prophets that the Messiah was going to come through the line of David. So why wouldn't they think that eventually this Messiah that was going to come was going to start conquering people? Of course they would think that. Of course they would. As long as they stayed true to their beliefs, the Messiah was going to come. I mean, it was, it was promised. The, the prophet said it's going to happen. It was promised to them. It's what they expected. It might even be what they felt entitled to. But they didn't get what they expected. They got a Messiah. 
But this Messiah didn't look anything like what they expected him to look like. The, the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2 that Matt read for us says it this way, in starting in verse 4. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. A first century Jew who's hearing this birth story of the Messiah that they have been waiting for forever, they would think, this, this is how the king who's going to rule came? This is the Messiah we've been, he's a king. Kings should be born in Jerusalem. Like, they shouldn't be born in a barn, in a nowhere town that no one's heard of. This is how the Messiah eventually comes. This is not what they were expecting. Then 30 years later, the people whose job it was to identify the Messiah, they were the Pharisees. They would study Scripture, they would memorize Scripture so that when the Messiah finally showed up, they could tell all the people, hey, here's the guy we've been waiting for this whole time, here's the Messiah. 30 years later, Jesus, when he comes around, the Pharisees, whose job it was to point out the Messiah, sees Jesus and goes, that's not him. He's not the Messiah. That is not the one we've been waiting for. Why would the people that studied Scripture, that knew Scripture more than any of us, miss it? Why would they miss Jesus? And here's why, and you'd probably know. Jesus wasn't who they expected Him to be. Jesus' kingdom wasn't what they expected. See, here's what they expected. They expected the Messiah would enforce the law. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus finished the law. See, they, they assumed the Messiah would come and all those laws that you might read in the Old Testament, there's 600 some laws that are in the Old Testament that he's going to make sure everyone lived by those laws. But Jesus comes and he starts healing people on the Sabbath, and that goes against the law. They go, hold on, you're, you're, you're not supposed to do that, Jesus. Jesus all of a sudden starts breaking all these traditions that the, the Pharisees made. Because you see, the Pharisees, they would make all these laws to try to help all the Jewish people to not disobey the Ten Commandments. They made all these 600 laws you had to now follow. Jesus came and didn't worry about any of those laws. He says, no, no. The Messiah is here to enforce the law, but not Jesus. Jesus said, no, I did not come to enforce the law. The law is now over because I am here. I did not come to abolish the law. I came to finish it. That law, the Old Testament that, that you might read, Jesus put a period on it. It said that was for that time period, for those people. Now that I'm here, we're not living by that covenant anymore. We are living by a new covenant, a new covenant that is better and a new covenant that is a lot harder to live by. Jesus said, no, no, I came to finish the law. They expected that the Messiah would rule as king. Jesus led as a servant. See, kings make decrees. Kings command obedience. Kings, kings they, they stay on their throne. But Jesus, born as a king, as his king, instead of using it to be over top of everybody, instead, he serves other people. But right before he's about to be crucified, he's at the Last Supper with his disciples. All of his disciples, before he's crucified, are eventually going to abandon him. That's what they're all going to do. And Jesus, knowing it's his last meal with his friends, all of his friends that are going to betray him, you would think if it was me, I would be like, hey, it's time to serve me. This is it for me, so you better serve me because you're not going to see me for a little bit. But what does Jesus do? He washes the feet of his disciples. Of all of his friends, it's about to betray him. See, Jesus led as a servant, 
wasn't what they expected. They expected the Messiah would take over. Jesus died. They assumed that the Messiah was going to lead a revolt against Rome, that the empire of Rome was eventually going to come because of Jesus leading this revolt. In fact, there's, in history, there were other people that said they were the Messiah that led revolts to try to defeat Rome. Of course, that's what the Messiah would do. But Jesus, instead of destroying Rome, allowed Rome to kill him. That's not what they expected. So my question for you on Christmas Eve is this. What do you expect? What do you expect from God? How do you expect God to operate? How do you expect Him to govern? How do you believe His criteria should be in order to let someone into His kingdom? What do you expect of God? Do you believe that we shouldn't have any hardships in life? That if you follow God close enough that you'll be protected in life? Because I'll hear things like this, why, why do bad things happen to good people? That's why we're asking that question, because a good God would never, ever allow bad things to happen to someone that's good. So, so I expect that God to make sure that I'm fine, that no hardships come to me. Maybe your expectation is if you are good enough, then you'll make it to heaven. If you went out in the street right now and asked people, hey, if there's an afterlife, do you think you're going to go to it? Most people are going to say yes, even if they don't necessarily believe in a God. They're like, If there is one, I think I'm going to go. And if you said, hey, why do you think that? They would say, well, because I, I try to be really good. I, I'm a good person, and I believe because I'm a good person, I'll be able to get there. So is that what we expect God to be? That, hey, as long as you're, the scale out is more good than bad deeds and you're going to get in, that's the God we expect him to be. Or maybe we expect God to be the God who answers all of our questions. I've heard a lot of people tell me this. When I get to heaven, I'm going to have some questions for God because we deserve an answer because that's the God that I expect, that he's going to let me know what the things I miss and explain some things to me because I didn't understand some things and I need to know these answers. That's the God that we expect at times. And here's the reality. We expect God to act the way we want him to act. And the way we want him to act always puts us in the center. It always makes it revolve around our needs and our wants and our questions. Now, our expectations, when we do that, what we expected God to be, now it turns into our entitlements. God owes this to me. He owes me an answer. He owes me heaven because I've been good. He owes me peace and no storms in life because I'm a good person. And if God doesn't act the way that I want him to act, then I can't believe in that God. It's what a lot of us do. Let me make something perfectly clear, as brutally honest as I can to you. You are not entitled to a savior. I'm not entitled to a savior. You know that, right? We are not entitled to a savior. There is no being good enough for him. See, the, the standard to be in his presence is perfection. If we are not perfect, we have not met the standard. We have fallen short of that standard. We have not made the cut, but we expect God to operate the way we want him to, which makes us feel entitled to being saved because I think he should operate this way. I deserve to be saved. And if you're entitled to being saved, why would you change any aspect of your life to follow Jesus? Because Jesus, the way he tells us to live is really hard. I don't know if you know that, but Jesus says that you need to always put other people first. If you're entitled to a savior, why would you live that way? You don't need it because you're entitled. You're going to get it because you deserve it. Jesus said that you need to love your enemies. Jesus said you need to deny yourself. Why would we live that way if we're entitled to a savior? We need to understand we are not entitled to a savior. 
But the good news of the Christmas story is that even though we aren't entitled to a Savior, even though we don't deserve a Savior, God came and gave us one anyways. Here's what he said to, here's what the, the, the angel said to the shepherds. In verse 8, he says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. A Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. You know why this is such good news? Because we don't deserve it. We aren't entitled to it. We don't deserve a Savior. We aren't entitled to one. Yet God loved us enough to send His Son to die for us, to not be the Savior for the Jews, to not be the Savior for the good people, to be the Savior to all people. That means you and me, with all of our baggage, with our past, with all of our bad habits, with all of our sinful expectations, God sent a Savior to the world for you and me. And the reason He did it is because that's how much He loves you. See, that's what Christmas really is. Christmas is taking the expected and turning it into the experienced. You don't have to try to figure out who God is. He showed you through Jesus. You don't have to try to figure out the best way to now live. Jesus modeled it for you. You don't have to try to determine whether he loves you. He showed you he loves you by sending his son to come, die on a cross, and come back to life three days later. I understand you expected something different from God. You don't have to live with that one-day expectation that he's going to fulfill. You can experience who he actually is today. And that's exactly what the shepherds did. They go and they, they find Jesus and they left differently. Here's what it says, skipping to verse 20. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they have heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Just as they were told. Some of you, the, the reason you aren't sure if you believe this Jesus stuff is because you've been expecting the wrong thing. You've been expecting the wrong Messiah. You think that God is here to protect you from the storms in life. I don't know where you heard that from, but you didn't hear it from Jesus. In fact, if you read the gospel, he says the complete opposite. He says, in this life, you will have trouble. I guarantee it. So that idea that God's going to protect us and why would bad things happen to good people, Jesus doesn't teach that. No, he says the complete opposite. When we think that idea that, that God will protect us from storms, it's our expectations turning into entitlements. No, I don't, I, I, there shouldn't be any storms in life. I don't deserve it. If you think that God is going to make your name great, maybe that's an expectation you have. You didn't hear that from Jesus. Jesus said, no, the, 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 the last shall be first and the first shall be last. That's your, that's your expectations turning into entitlements. Jesus didn't preach that. You think all you need to do is be good enough to make it? You didn't hear that from Jesus. That's not in the gospel anywhere. In fact, Jesus said, all have sinned. And now the Greek word for all here is all. You and me. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but all are justified freely, not by how good you are, but by grace. That idea, you need to be good to make it, that's your expectations turning into entitlements. Jesus didn't tell you that. I don't know what you've expected out of this life, 
but you don't have to live in expectations that you hope one day is going to happen. You can experience the love he has for you right now. Let me show you something really quick. You didn't really think I was going to get my daughter Twister, right? Yeah, she acted entitled. Yeah, she expects this. But of course I would get it for her. You really think that me, an a imperfect father, even though my daughter does not deserve this, even though she didn't do anything to earn this, you really think that I wouldn't get it for her? Of course I would. And I am an imperfect father. Ask Erica. I am far from perfect as a dad. I am a very flawed father. Your heavenly father loves you so much that he sent his son just for the chance to have a relationship with you. With you. You with your sin. You with your baggage. You with your expectations. You with your entitlement. He sent a savior for you. If you've ever been to a, a Christmas Eve service, I'm sure you have expectations on how this service is going to work. We're going to sing some Christmas songs, which we did. We're going to get you out of here in an hour because you got things to do, which we are. We're going to do some candle lighting, which we're going to. You have expectations. I get it. And if you've been to a Christmas Eve service, I'm sure there's another expectation you have. If you've ever been to one, you, you probably know this, but a lot of times after a Christmas Eve service, there's an invitation. The pastor will stand here to preach about the gospel, which I did, and invite you to raise your hand or to to do something to accept this invitation. I'm sure that's a lot of our expectations if you've been to a Christmas Eve service. But I want to let you know something. I'm not going to do that today. I'm not going to do what you expect me to do today. doesn't mean I don't believe that there are people in this room that have a decision that they need to make today. I truly believe that there are. I believe there are some people here that have been living with the concept that as long as I'm good enough, I will make it to his kingdom. And, and I want you to know that you can make a decision today. You can make that decision to accept Christ into your life, to not have to worry about your good deeds, but accept his grace. We believe that as long as we confess with our mouth that he is Lord and believe in our hearts that we will be saved, that we are only saved because of his grace for us, that we repent from what we've done and we turn to him and that's how we have everlasting life in him. Some of you today need to make that decision. Some of you today need to make a, deci a decision to be baptized. When you leave today, you'll see a sign of, of people that have been baptized here we believe that baptism is a public declaration of what God is doing inside of you. There's nothing special about the water. It doesn't get you to a better slot in heaven. We just believe that it is a way for you to tell the world what you believe. We believe everyone should do it after they are saved. So even if you've been baptized as a baby, we still believe that you should get baptized again as an adult after you've made that decision for yourself. Some of you in this room, I know, need to make that decision. Some of you, you're not sure if you want to jump all in on this Jesus thing. But you need to decide today to start the journey. Maybe it's not going all the way, but it's like, I'm going to at least start investing in it. You need to make a decision today. Some of you, you need to find a church home. You go to church on Christmas, you go to church on Easter, you need to start going to a church consistently. It's, I, I think this is a great one, but there's plenty of other good ones. You need to find a church and make that church your church home. You need to make a decision today. Some of you, you need to get serious about actually looking like Jesus. You've been a follower of Jesus, you're committed to a church, you, you've been baptized, but you haven't changed at all as today as you have years ago. 
You need to make a decision to actually start growing in your walk with Christ. A lot of us have decisions that need to be made here today. But I'm not going to ask you to raise the hand. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to do any of that stuff. My prayer is that something that was said to you, said today, will speak to you. That will begin your journey for the next step, whatever it is. I'm not going to pressure you to raise a hand. I'm not going to pressure you to come talk to me. I'm not going to guilt you into doing anything, to make any, any decision. I'm not going to do that today. I don't want to end a service on changing your expectations by doing what you expect me to do. I just want you to know and understand what Christmas really means and understand that you are not alone in this journey because all of us have a next step to take. All of us have a decision to make. I pray you make that decision, whatever it is. I don't want you to make it out of pressure or out of guilt. I don't want you to make it out of what is expected out of you. I want you to make it understanding that God is the God that you don't have to expect He's the God that you can experience. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. We're going to get ready to, uh, to close. And a tradition that I love during the Christmas season is our candlelight. This represents the love that we have through Jesus. It represents who he is, that he as the Messiah, he as the king who came, came as a baby, would celebrate Christmas time. And his message has spread through years and years and now lives inside of us. So as we sing this closing song together, I'm going to come and light one candle. We're going to pass all the way around. I encourage you to take this time to think about the God that you expected him to be, whether that's the God he actually is. Again, you can experience him today. Let's stand. Let's sing.